Sort of unwise girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. Welcome to the show today, Jane. How you doing? Hello. I'm good. I'm I'm feeling fresh. Uh we've definitely got a good rhythm going. It's not been several weeks since we last recorded an episode. This is like the day after we last recorded, basically. <laughs> we basically did not take a break. We are working tirelessly for you, dear listener. That's right. And if you think that maybe there's been like a like an interruption in the flow, like maybe we've missed some bonus episodes. Uh, <laughs> no, we haven't. I possibly posted a few late. You hallucinated that bit. Yeah, we're you're you're remembering it wrong. Um, are we gaslight gatekeep girl bossing our audience? We are. We are. It's fine. Though. They love <laughs> it. Um, okay, so. This is a podcast all about the funny books uh, right now known as the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series by Rick Riordan. I feel like they're always going to be known as that. They're not always going to be Percy Jackson and the Olympians books. In fact, this is the last one. Yeah, but th- those books will always be the Percy Jackson and the Olympian books. Well, what if it's like posthumously? Wait, posthumously? Okay, <laughs> let's. Okay, after Rick Riordan dies, <laughs> let's say that they decide to change the name to like. Like, they go in and are like, the the name Percy Jackson doesn't test well anymore. Let's change his name to, like... It's the Grover Chronicles now. It's the Grover Chronicles now. <laughs> I think that's a possibility. We, we do get some Grover content in these chapters. Just, like, cut out everything that isn't directly about Grover, and it will be good. Yeah, I mean, we miss the entirety of Sea of Monsters if we do that, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the Sea of Monsters at that point is just, like, a horror novel about, like, like a psychological, like, this goat is trying not to get murdered, so he's trying to get married, but he's, like, you know, it, it's, it's a horror novel at that point. And then it has, like, a really weird ending where a bunch of characters we've never seen before just show up and rescue him. Yeah... Yeah, I felt like that was kind of a deus ex machina. <laughs> but, you know... I know the children of the... gods, so you might even be using that term correctly. I-, I might even be. I mean, book two of the Grover Chronicles was rough, but let's hope <laughs> that book five can recover. Um, Jane. Hello. How about I do the summaries for this week? Yeah. A novel concept. Yeah. I, I wrote them all myself. You, you did. Well done. Copyright Jacqueline. Copyright Jacqueline. Uh, original content. Do not steal. Uh, with a little bit of help from Jane. You know, a little bit of, you know, she helped out a little bit. To be fair, I think you did slash out about a third of them. Because There's a good chance I wrote them that. very slightly over detailed. Uh, it's fine. It, more detail is better. <laughs> for cutting out um anyway (laughs) let's get started chapter six my cookies get scorched nico and percy arrive at luke's mother's large and isolated house where they approach while mrs o'leary lies down to recover from the shadow travel they knock on the door and miss castell lets them in 
delighted to see them because she thinks they're Luke. Her house is a mess and she appears to be one too. In the kitchen, among the piles of rotting lunch she's made for when Luke returns, she mentions that she was once offered a job by the gods due to being able to see through the mist, and ever since, her mind has been plagued by visions. Around that same time, Luke left. But they get out of her that he has been back since, once, asking for her blessing in relation to some river before leaving. As they move to leave, Miss Castellan starts convulsing, having some sort of vision as she begs Hermes to spare Luke from a dark fate. Percy and Nico flee back to Mrs. O'Leary, who's being petted by a small child next to a campfire. This child is actually Hestia, goddess of the hearth. Percy's seen her before, his first night at Camp Half-Blood. She hints at what Mrs. Castellan's job was, saying that she quote-unquote saw too much, and implores Percy to focus on the importance of yielding, as she did when she gave her throne Olympus to Dionysus, rather than the brute strength Nico's plan will give him. She says in his final decision, he will have to think of her, and then sends Percy, Nico, and Mrs. O'Leary straight to Percy's mom through the hearth. Percy and Nico explain the situation to Sally and Paul. Like Luke, Percy needs some mother's blessing for Nico's plan to work. She's reluctant, but eventually gives her blessing anyway, though she asks him to give her a signal that he's still alive. Something blue from the Empire State Building. Percy promises, and then he and Nico depart to a nearby entrance to Hades. Chapter 7 my math teacher gives me a lift. Percy and Nico head to Central Park, which Nico explains is where the door of Orpheus has moved to. However, they can't get in without following Orpheus's example and playing some music. That's when Percy realizes his empathy link is active again, so he uses the psychic connection to find Grover, who's taking a nap in a tree nearby. Apparently, he was put to sleep for two months after an encounter with Orpheus, the god of dreams. They speculate that, because Morpheus works for Kronos, he was scouting ahead for the invasion of Olympus. Grover agrees to help them into the underworld, but expresses the same fears as Sally. Regardless, Nico, Percy, and Mrs. O'Leary head underground, where they arrive at the front of the River Styx. Nico starts acting evasively, saying they should go through the gates to Asphodel, and after a cute moment where Mrs. O'Leary and Cerberus meet, the trio is stopped by the appearance of Mrs. Dodds and the other Furies. Nico tells them to take the group to Hades, and reveals his father has offered him information on his mother in exchange for a chat with Percy. Percy's pissed, but he has no choice but to go. The pair are dragged before Hades, Persephone, and her mother Demeter, goddess of agriculture, who are having a domestic squabble. Hades insults Nico, claiming Bianca would have done better, but tells about Nico's mother anyway. She was an Italian diplomat's daughter who Hades met in the 1930s, and Hades decided to hide their children in the Lowest Casino due to World War II. He used Mrs. Dodds in disguise to retrieve them when the time was right. He won't, unfortunately, tell Nico anything more about his mother, instead revealing his plan is to kill and or imprison Percy, so that Nico becomes the child of prophecy, and Kronos is allowed to raise the surface while the underworld holds steady. Then, he would use Nico's power to win the war, leaving him the last god standing. Chapter 8 I Take the Worst Bath Ever Percy is chucked into a cell and passes out from exhaustion, dreaming about Rachel again, who's having a miserable, if luxurious time with her parents in the Caribbean. His dream then shifts, placing him in San Luis right as the city starts being devastated by Typhon, <laughs> who's not even being slowed down by the god's efforts. Percy is then woken by Nico, breaking him out of his cell, and although Percy is wary, he knows he has no choice but to trust them, especially as Nico has the ability to pass unnoticed in front of the undead guards. 
Unfortunately, this is pretty draining. So Nico is almost unconscious by the time he and Percy make it outside the palace. This is also when the alarm is raised, and the pair only escape by hitching our Mrs. O'Leary all the way to the River Styx. Nico tells Percy that he needs to prepare himself for the plan, but the two are interrupted by the arrival of the Shade of Achilles. He knows exactly what they're up to. They're going to dunk Percy in the River Styx and make him invulnerable, just like Luke has done, which is how he's been able to hold Cronus' soul without being vaporized. Percy understands the warning, but he also understands that there's no other choice. Nico tells him that to keep himself anchored in his mortal life, he'll need to pick a spot on his body to keep mortal. Percy decides on the small of his back, where nobody will ever, ever kill him there, and <laughs> hops in the sticks, at which point he experiences horrific agony. He manages to hold on, though, and climbs out of the river, not feeling that much different, at which point Hades arrives with a huge army of shades. Percy grimly prepares to make his last stand, and leaps into the fray, riptide in hand, and slaughters every single one of the shades without breaking a sweat. Then, he pins Hades down and threatens him, but before he can get any information about Cronus' plan out of him, the god teleports away. He tells Nico to stay in Hades and try to get information out of his father, but Nico says that Percy just doesn't trust him anymore and doesn't want him around. Still, he agrees, and Percy and Mrs. O'Leary head back to the surface to find Luke. So Jane, what do you think of the chapters this week? Orpheus. Morpheus. Dorpheus. Walruses. Thank you. <laughs> and, and that has been Jane's Eric Andre corner. <laughs> Listen, you showed me that. I did show you that. Orpheus is not drinking a 40 in the death basket in this chapter, unfortunately. Uh, no, he's long dead. It's very sad. Uh, no, these are really good chapters. I like them a lot. Yeah, agreed. We have been cut down, unfortunately. I know we are hoping for a long-running journey of Percy and Nico's bizarre adventure but yeah we got an episode out of it we were hoping for like maybe Percy Nico Clarice dream team but uh it was not to be that would have been really good yeah but you know we still got some awesome chapters this week like to an extent this is like what I basically would have wanted out of Nico and Percy's bizarre adventure yeah, for sure. I just cool locations, creepy like subplots, and also a terrible betrayal. Gotta say, I was not expecting the betrayal. Absolutely not. I can well to be fair, Nico also was not expecting the betrayal. Oh. I get whose betrayal were you talking about? Well no, I mean Nico does kinda of betray Percy, but he didn't mean to betray him that hard. Yeah, he just meant to betray him a little bit. A little as a treat. A little bit of betrayal as a treat. I guess we can start with Miss Castellan. We certainly can. She is... Th th there's a lot here that I like. What do you like? I like... I feel like one of the big things about um, how Miss Castellan works is mm -hmm. that she is like... She's taken Luke's motivation, which was already like sympathetic. Yes. And kind of turned it like downright tragic. Yeah, we... Like, it's, it's not stated explicitly, but I think the implication is very clear that, like, the the gods not only, like, abandoned Luke, they also completely fucked up his life by driving his mom crazy. 
Right, because Luke's motivation this whole time has basically been like, I hate the gods. We yeah. need a new fascist god structure. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, the reason I hate the gods is because Hermes wasn't around for me. But it looks like there's more to it now, and that makes a lot of sense and is probably good for like a kind of the villain of the series motivation. Yeah, especially one where we are like, we're hoping for and anticipating a face turn. I I would really like a face turn. I, I'm still in camp. Luke should get a big heroic moment at the end. Yeah. Uh, Miss Castell, and there is, I think there's some good, like, I think this chapter vor i think this fuck i said vor um <laughs> i think this chapter <laughs> i think i think this chapter verges on <laughs> i think this, ca- this chapter, chapter vores at virgins shush, shush, shush. <laughs> i think this chapter verges on some territory of like mm, like kind of unkind depictions of like mental illness possibly yeah there's a some stuff in here that i'm kind of side-eyeing miss castell is portrayed very sympathetically um mm-hmm. but she's also portrayed very like kind of cartoonishly like and effectively but like also but like still cartoonishly like she's kind um, of like a, a sad caricature she's not really got a lot of depth to her or really a lot of agency no, like it's important that she's here for sure. Um, it does just kind of feel like, oh, here is this like this woman who has been beset upon by uh, a tragic fate, and now she's and now she's crazy. This woman who has suffered for a male character's uh, character development and backstory. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that too. I mean, she hasn't like she hasn't quite been like. You know, she's not inside of the fridge when they go in there. But No, but... The, you know. We might have some small issues with the way that it's being portrayed, but it is still, like, effectively quite sad. It's, like, it's the idea very that sad. she keeps making these packed lunches because she thinks he's going to come back from his lunch break any minute now. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's fucked. Uh, it, it is. And... I think the way that the house is described as like very like from the outside, it's not even like from the outside. It's like a beautiful home and inside it's terrible because uh-huh. like the, the lawn is very unkempt and it's filled with my favorite detail is that it like the pathway up to the door is like filled with like figurines of Greek figures. Yeah. Little beanie baby things. Which is really cute, and like, I want some of those. I do want but a also, Beanie Baby Minotaur. I I would love one, but it's also very like, I don't know that, and like the the like rotting insides of the place contrasted with like, mm-hmm. oh, it's this stately manor or whatever. Yeah, I think it it also works really effectively for like what we get later in this chapter with like, um, Percy's mom. Oh, right, right, Because right. this, this part of the chapter like, emphasizes, you know, Percy may live in a small cramped flat in New York, but, you know, he has a supportive family and a really close relationship with them. Uh, and then right after emphasizing that, we get into a bit where, like, he has to have a really painful separation from that. 
That's right. And I think that I, I didn't even think of that explicit contrast. It's, it's set up. It's right there in the chapter. Yeah. But there's so much good done here with like setting up through that contrast, the way that Percy's relationship with his family works. Mm-hmm. And because of that, like, it, it it does like I I've I feel like I you know I know these characters enough now that like when when Sally is like expressing her pain about like I don't want to like grant you the permission to go and kill yourself in this war basically <laughs> yeah it it hurts um and I think that like there's a little bit of um I also want to talk about Paul here. Oh, okay. Because Paul in this chapter has a a little moment where he gets to just be like, okay, so this is all real. (laughs) There, there, there are some antics and he discovers, you know, the, the entire, the, which apparently they had like tried to explain it to him before, but he was like, I don't really get it. I'm pretty sure you're pranking me. Yeah, he, this is like this is the first time he like comes face to face with unassailable evidence. There, there is the elephant in the room. There is the giant doggy in the room. Please pet the giant doggy. I know you're about to get onto a point, so I won't dwell on it. I love Mrs. O'Leary in these chapters. Mrs. O'Leary is such a delight. I love. If there's one thing, the series really badly needed just a funny doggy, and like now that there is one in every single chapter. I, I smile a little bit more. And she even meets the, the series' previous funny doggy. Cerberus. Yeah. Um, and I just like that he gets to have that moment. It's like, because he's not even like unsupportive or like super freaked out. He's just like, it's like, hmm. I think the implication is very much that like he's gone into shock. Yeah, and I think it's quite funny to be honest. It's really, it's very funny. It's, it's. There's this chapter has some good humor. Um, in between those scenes, though, we get to meet Hestia. Ooh, we do. The titular last Olympian. Yeah, that was really interesting to me. She she calls herself the last Olympian, which because she is the one who is like guarding Olympus while the others are away trying to fight Typhon. Yeah. And I'm really into Hestia as a character. She's very interesting. Like, I think the idea that she is emphasizing, like, the importance of yielding, I think that really plays into, like, what makes Percy a kind of unique hero. In that, like, he he's not, like, I don't know, bullheaded, I suppose. Like, you can see him actually taking that advice. Yeah, he's not the one who's uh, who's fatal flaws hubris. Absolutely not. He's not like a shonen anime protagonist, I suppose. He's like a little bit of a shonen anime protagonist. <laughs> I want a shonen anime now about Annabeth. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe that's what Heroes of Olympus is. That could be what Heroes of Olympus is. It's, I, I, I know what Heroes of Olympus is, but I will not tell you. Okay. This could be that. I, that. Let me keep the hope. But I'm really into Hestia. I think that, like, we've had a different god in the series up until now portrayed as, like, a little girl. Mm-hmm. And that was Artemis. Yeah. But 
Like, this is very obviously, like, such a different character. Mm-hmm. They both do the whole, like, wise old, like, wise old girl thing. Um, or I guess wise young girl who is old also. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, they've got, like, the, the experience behind the eyes. Yeah. But there's, like, a certain reservation to Hestia that Artemis doesn't have. I think she's very much like the least arrogant god that we've seen in the series. It's the arrogance. You're right. It's the lack of arrogance. And I have to assume some of that comes from like, you know, abdicating her throne to Dionysus, Uh basically. But she's still like, arguably one of the most important gods to exist. I mean, yeah, she's the only one keeping the lights on on Mount Olympus at the minute. And also just like more broadly is the one who represents like home yeah and is the one who is always like camp half-blood is always gathered around her like every night for dinner i i went back and i checked my copy of the lightning thief to see if she does actually show up there and i couldn't find a mention of her really yeah i don't know if i just missed it because i was skimming or what i think it's possible that this was retconned then yeah, I, I mean, it's. I mean, Percy like explicitly says, "Oh yeah, I didn't pay any attention to it at the time." Right, and like that's if there had, it would have been weird to put in a mention of like, and there was a young girl there. Like, of course, there were young girls there. It's a summer camp. But... I think if nothing else, we would have noticed something like that, and we would have been like, "Ooh, what does this mean for the story of the Lightning Thief?" That's possible. Although we were also like. That's possible. Although we're also like we were in our, our our young days of not being such experienced literary analysts <laughs> as we are now in episode like twenty or whatever it is. Uh, I think we're, we're coming up on episode thirty, actually. Really, Jesus Christ! <laughs> uh, well, yeah, this is know. episode twenty-nine. Even more experienced then. Hell yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I just wanted to point out there is, in fact, justice for Hestia in having to give up her throne. Oh, yeah? Uh, which is, uh, she now has her own mountain. Her really? Her own cooler Olympus. How, yeah. w- where is that? Uh, it is on Vesta, the asteroid that is named after the um, like Roman equivalent of Hestia. Right. Uh, and there is a mountain on that which, by some measuring methods, is taller than olympus mons the tallest mountain on mars oh shit so she has her own mountain cooler and better than mount olympus wait are there martian olympians uh no i mean actually i guess gods could live on mars they wouldn't gods could live on mars why not they'd have no one to worship them but you know you know when elon musk gets his fucking colonies going or whatever (laughs) Hopefully they'll I mean, be they'll there. They'll need to... someone to pray to when they're all starving to death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'll be there to strike them down. Hell yeah. Does lightning have on other on other planets? I guess it must. Yeah, I think you do actually get lightning on Mars because they have like dust storms. Okay. Well, you know, send one of those over a certain way, Zeusy boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Um but yeah. I I I'm happy for her same do you uh i'm way too i am way too fucking close to this microphone you sound Uh, like the 
What was that? Fucking mine, mine diamonds song. Hello, and this is another episode of Jacqueline's ASMR Corner. I'm currently. Uh, this is an improvement of uh, mine diamonds. I'm currently doing ASMR about Percy Jackson and the Olympians. I'm going to tap the microphone now. Is there any particular reason you know, you're you're in ASMR mode now? My lips accidentally touched the microphone, so I was like, "Oh, this is probably the right time to do this." I have my pop, I have my pop filter extremely close because it was in my in the way of my eyes. I see. J- just so you're aware, listener, there wasn't like an abrupt cut there. Jacqueline did just start doing that. <laughs> Listen, I'm normal. <laughs> I'm really normal. Okay, everyone listening to this i'm so normal okay you're very normal i'm normal thank you um so we we get more than just fuck close okay we get more than just um we talked a little bit about grover earlier what do you think of uh grover in these chapters uh i think we mentioned early on that we would be happy with like a grover cameo in this book and that's it Uh uh-huh i think this is the grover cameo and that's it (laughs) This is the Grover cameo of the book, and I'm, you know what? I was happy to see him. Yeah, it was, it was pretty neat to see that he is like going full nature mode, sleeping in a tree, sleeping in a tree, not like pretending to be a human anymore. That was actually nice. Bleating more when he talks, I noticed. Right, right, yeah. He's he's, he's a, living his truth. He's living happily, and. He's also been asleep for eight weeks. Um, I mean, isn't that happiness? That is happiness. That is what I would like to do every day. <laughs> but I, I really enjoy, like, um, I guess the, like, what happens here with, like, oh, Morpheus. Mostly mm-hmm. because I think we guessed that something would happen with Morpheus. We did call the Morpheus thing because of a, uh, like, Land of Dreams line in the prophecy. Now, listener, you might be saying that uh, it would—it's really easy to guess that Morpheus is the one who's being talked about in the dream, in the prophecy. He is literally the god of dreams. And what I would say to that is, go do your own fucking podcast. <laughs> I think I think a good chunk of our listeners do actually do their own podcasts. It's just a, a never-ending cycle. Everyone making podcasts forever. Yeah. Eventually, what will happen is that one somebody who listened to our podcast makes a podcast that inspires somebody else to do a podcast that ends up inspiring ZC and Liz of the Shrieking Shack to start doing a podcast again. <laughs> and it'll be all thanks to us. The cycle continues. That, that, this, is, this has been a long-term plan all along. We're just trying to resurrect the Shrieking Shack. We really just want the Shriek cast back. We really do. God. <laughs> when did they stop? Did they stop when we were on like episode five or something? Very early on, yeah, like I'm, March or something of this year. I miss them. Same. I love being in a parasocial relationship with podcasters. Anyway, it's true. Okay, we were off track. What were we talking about? Grover, uh, we were Morpheus. Talking about Morpheus. Uh, I really like the like just like kind of terrifying image of just a guy walking through the street, like who can just like put you to sleep for two months. My A-level physics teacher was like that. <laughs> Tish. Was he also a god? Uh, could have been. 
I wasn't paying attention in class. He could have been, and I would never have noticed. So true. Maybe you were like, one day he just like revealed his godly form, but you were like, you know, reading a book or whatever you do. Actually, and you that just was did not notice. the only class where I ever went truant. So maybe like the one time where I just like buggered off and went for a walk in a nearby park during a lesson, that was when he revealed his godly form. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but. I'm I'm interested in seeing where the Morpheus stuff goes. This book, I'm still guessing they're going to go to like the Morpheus world. I'm I'm curious if there's going to be like a Matrix joke. I, hmm, that's actually intriguing to me. A Matrix joke could happen here because these were not long after the Matrix movies came out. No. And like make, making a crack about one of them being called Morpheus is slightly more highbrow than a normal Matrix joke. That's. Uh, well, usually I it's guess. just slow mo. That's that's true. We we've all seen Shrek. Yeah. We've all seen Scary Movie Two or whatever the fuck. I haven't, and I have no desire to. We've all seen something else that references the Matrix. Um, Space Jam Two and New Legacy. We, we've all seen Jesus Christ. Is, is the <laughs> Matrix in that movie? Uh, the the old woman from the um, Tweety Bird thing is right. wearing like a latex outfit and does like a spinny jump kick and kicks someone in the head. That's so fucking funny. I love things I recognize. LeBron James I... also says that he's Hufflepuff. Oh wow! I really hate this world we live in. Hell world. Anyway. Hell world. Anyway, right? We don't. Maybe we just don't have anything to say about Grover. Maybe we should move on to something we both really liked. Yeah, uh, let's let's jump straight ahead into the underworld. Hell yeah. So I I feel like whenever we go to the underworld, we're pretty positive about what like whatever those chapters are. Yeah, the underworld's pretty reliably good. And it doesn't fail us this time. Absolutely. I think. What I really enjoy most in the Underworld section is... Okay, I'll start with my small joy, okay. which is Mrs. O'Leary and Cerberus meeting. We've already kind of mentioned yeah, that, but I it's, just... It's so I, good. I love it. I love I it. I love that the dogs get to play with each other and stuff. It's very blessed. But the best part of this is... Um, just like the family dynamic presented between Hades, Persephone, it's- and Demeter... It's domestic. I love it. It's incredibly domestic. And I think, okay, here's my my, my thing I'm going to say. This is the one element of, like, family, like, relationship drama that this, like, series is so heavily built on that has been missing. Oh, okay. Like, specifically, we have never gotten this kind of, like, domet- like extremely, like, prototypical domestic drama. Or, like, not yeah. domestic, but, like almost like domestic comedy um it does feel like they they are they've walked out of a sitcom and i really enjoy that i think that's kind of like a that was kind of needed to make this feel a lot more i guess real yeah and i like that it's it's not just oh these characters are acting funny for no reason and it feels out of place like Percy notices and is irritated by it. Right. Which leads like, to absolutely the best moment in these chapters. And, and could you tell that to us? 
The best moment in these chapters is when Hades keeps getting distracted from, like, putting Percy to death or whatever by, like, a domestic dispute with um, his stepmother, not stepmother, mother-in-law. Uh-huh. And in response, Percy grabs a ruby off a tree and hurls it at Hades' head as hard as he can (laughs) (laughs) to just, like, get his attention again. It's so fucking funny. I love it, and I love that, like, it's everything that I like about Percy as a character. It's his, like, absolute lack of tolerance for, like, authority that doesn't, like, treat him with any respect. Like, he hates bullies, and he's very clearly being bullied in this situation, and he just loses it. It's really good. And he, he also just hates it when there is, like people like thinking nothing of him which is obviously also happening Mm -hmm. here and like god like the specific moments of like Demeter as a character I think like this might be her first like speaking appearance I think it is yeah and her just being like talking to Persephone like you should come back and live back home with me your husband is such a loser you should have married the god of lawyers it's like, so good <laughs> it's really good especially and I know this is like I think it's really funny that she's saying that when she is married to Hades the god of riches <laughs> oh god you're right it's just like what I guess like she Maybe Demeter is, like, an ally to the struggle. (laughs) I think Demeter just would not have been happy with whoever Persephone married. That's probably true. (laughs) And, like, I think that's... that's, Like, if that was all that this series was, if that or, like, if that was all that, like, these characters contained, this would be kind of, like, rote. Instead, it adds, like, some really good flavor, I think. Yeah, I always love stuff like this, um, like just the humanizing elements that are added to the gods, because it like it does such a good job of undermining their image of themselves. Yes. Like we we kind of see through the golden facade, and see that oh no, these are just like shitty people who are drunk on a lot of power. It's the arrogance. Yeah, I kind of want to talk about Hades' characterization. Go ahead. Because I think it's one of the, like, weirder elements of this series. Oh, definitely. Because I, I, I remember all the way back, book one, one of our predictions coming out of that was, like, maybe Hades is, like, the secret good guy of this series. Right. And that that was even, like, slightly borne out in the Demigod Files. A little bit. Because in that one we see the, like, oh no, Hades didn't want a super powerful sword because he valued the balance between the gods more than his own personal like interests right and then in this book he's evil he's okay i understand where you're coming from i get Uh what you're saying i slightly agree but i really also disagree oh okay i i think there is like a point where hades is more than anything like a tired bureaucrat like that kind of like mm-hmm. thing that we said in the first book yeah i think that a character like him doesn't want like all the bullshit of like having to get involved in the war yeah i can see that like would have happened if um the demigod file stuff went off Hmm. 
if there was a sort of Hades, but being able to just sit comfortably underground and wait it out until he like rises up and lets his son kill Kronos and then just like be the last one standing. I think that feels very Hades. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I can, I can see how it like makes sense as a decision, I guess. It's just, it's weird to me because Percy has also always thought of Hades as evil. Mm-hmm. Even when previously his actions contradicted that. Right. So I guess it feels weird to me that there's no, like, subversion. It's just... Yeah, I mean... Percy thought this for a while, it was wrong, but then it turned out he was right. I mean, I don't think... I I get I get you, but I think that, like, there still is that subversion in that, like, Hades isn't, like... There's almost like a, a mundanity to what he's trying to do that I think is too present to be called evil. He's not like the over-the-top villain that I think Percy thinks he is, or at least thought he was. He's just like a a god like all the other ones, making big decisions because he wants to have a, it a little bit better for himself. Yeah, I suppose we're not getting like Hercules Hades here. Yeah, this isn't this is not uh fucking James Gandolfini. But like I do think there is a point to which like Hades has been pretty consistently described as like thinking it kind of sucks the role he's been dealt in life. Mhm. Which, you know, I guess it kind of does. Because of that, I feel like this is pretty pretty I, I get I understand that what you're saying though that like it uh. feels like there should be a moment of like Hades does the right thing. Yeah. But I think I think there is like meaning in the fact that there so far has not been that moment. I tell you, you know what? We we can agree to disagree on that. Uh, there is a detail in here that I think we will both hate. Yes. Uh confirmed canon Hades is Hitler's dad. Yeah, we. we, I thought we'd gotten past this, Rick. I thought we were sweeping this under the rug. I think we agreed a while back. Like, we're simply not going to talk anymore about the World War II stuff. (laughs) It's not our fault. He keeps talking about it, and now he's brought it back directly to the to the forefront to be like, (laughs) you know, Hades was just like he was apparently in. Germany. He was apparently in Italy. Uh, yeah, I, Nico's mom was the daughter of someone who worked for the Axis powers. Uh huh. Which I guess that makes sense. We should have like grokked that already with like how the timeline works. I thought that in Sea of Monsters we'd taken like a step away from this, where the backstory was the big three didn't have kids because of World War Two. And then in Sea of Monsters, the idea of the prophecy is introduced as the real reason. Uh, I think it was always supposed to be a combination of it. I don't think it was ever like trying to retcon it out, personally. I, I, I'd i always read it as, like, not not a retcon, but a, like, this this is the real reason. Look over here. We're not going to talk about that bit anymore. It happened, but it's yeah, we're not going to acknowledge it. Yeah, I think it's, like... Maybe that's just I, what I hoped for. Yeah, I think that might have been, like, you casting your hopes onto it which is understandable (laughs) um we don't have to talk about it too much yeah it's weird it's it's weird it's weird i don't like it i 
we do we were theorizing i think last week or the week before about like who was this person or maybe even a few weeks ago who was this person who got uh nico and bianca out of the out of the lotus hotel and now we know it was just one of hades minions makes sense i guess (laughs) it makes sense I think we were like, it had to be Kronos because, and we were like trying to do like all this 4D chess about it, but it was just the answer that made sense. In our defense, Kronos is always doing 4D chess. That's true. But yeah, I, it, it, this this is a straightforward reveal, but it makes sense. Uh, would you have anything else to say about this chapter? Makes sense how Orpheus got fucked over so bad. Oh, how so? With Persephone saying, oh no, won't, won't you let Percy go? And Hades says, nah. Then Persephone goes, fair enough, what's for breakfast? <laughs> I think that's the, that's my, like, funniest moment in this chapter. It's extremely good. <laughs> because, like, it, it, one, it tracks with, like, what we know of Persephone from the Demigod Files. Short uh-huh. story. Um, two, it's just, like, ridiculously funny that, like, <laughs> I don't know... Like, it's another example of, like, oh, the gods simply do not give a shit. Yeah, I again, it's always nice when Rick just does not shy away from portraying them as complete wankers. And also, like, it's a, it's a nice... It's a nice touch that being, like, prettier doesn't make Persephone nicer. True. I think she was in thing. she was in winter mode in Demigod Files, and she was a piece of shit there. And she's still yeah. a piece of shit now. Yeah, because, like... There was that, I think we didn't really talk about it, but there was that feeling like she's, it's winter, she's wilting, she's like ugly. Mm-hmm. I mean, she wasn't like described as like ugly, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, you know, but there was, but like, it's not like she's become a whole new person. She has like a renewed energy and her energy is going towards like having dealing brunch. with her mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Let's move on from the gods being domestic to Percy ascending to godhood. Yeah, so the next chapter is pretty, I don't know if it's short, but it goes by pretty fast. It is short, it's like 13 pages. It's a jailbreak, well, a quick dream first, uh, but nothing like super new in the dreams. We know that I do, the god... Uh-huh. I do like the touch that we, we have brought back the glorious, the city of San Luis... Yes, yes. Um, your favorite city, the city you know how to say so correctly. Uh, a, it's good because I released a highlight clip about that like a few hours before we recorded this. Uh, B, I, I love that like between this and Grover and Mrs. Dodds coming back and you know going back into Hades, we're getting like a rundown of old characters and old locations, but recontextualized for how fucked everything is now. Yeah, like, if it's one of those nice things you can do in a final book in a series where you can just, mm-hmm. like, tie all the old elements back into each other. Yeah, and it's especially good because I remember one of my complaints in The Titan's Curse was that it kind of felt like the books were a bit disconnected from each other. Yeah. So having this kind of continuity is really nice. Agreed. Um, I would not be surprised if, like, Percy has, like, one final battle with a Minotaur or something like that. Oh, hell Yeah. Um, I actually want to talk about the opening dream, the one, it's really quick, it's just, like, Rachel's dad looking out at the sea, and then, like, Rachel behind him, or maybe it's just Rachel, is it just Rachel? 
No, it's uh, it's yeah, it's Rachel's dad and mom chilling out, and Rachel standing a short distance away. I think. Yeah, and this is a small thing, but like I think we always something that is always so clear to me is that Rick Riordan likes the ocean a lot. Yeah. He's he, very he likes describing it. He he loves writing words to describe the ocean. And there was like just a really good like everything was so well realized with like the vision of what was happening in this dream that like I don't know. I would like I opened this chapter and like it's maybe the most memorable part of the chapter to me. I don't know why. Like Uh-huh. I just really enjoyed like the specific I'm not sure what it is like the specific words that were used the like framing of everything I I, I really liked it I hear you I see you you're valid I think the most memorable part of this section was Typhon punching a fucking skyscraper okay you're right <laughs> you're right that was awesome <laughs> although okay let's talk about the real most memorable part of this chapter Percy going sicko mode. Percy dunking himself in the the river. Well, okay, let's let's wait on that for a second, because and this was one of the weirder moments of this like book so far to me, and like not in a bad way necessarily, uh-huh. but it felt kind of clunky. Um, Nico and Percy are like arriving at the river Styx, but before they can get there, Achilles' ghost shows up. Yeah, it 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 kind of feels a little bit like an obligation. It, it 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 that's very much what it feels like to me because it's not like it goes by so fast and is so like ghost story like like or like classical like hero tale like oh the spirits warn you of the downfalls that they have faced and how if you enter this passage you too will face these the fates yeah i Um, like i almost didn't include it in the summary it's it feels like it should be a more significant moment and it's not even like this isn't even usually how these moments happen like there was no moment of like conjuration there was no bit like i was sent by the goddess Hestia to tell you of this yeah mostly um, if we see a ghost it's because nico has had to deliberately grab them and drag them to wherever they are although i guess yeah. it kind of makes sense that hercules would be chilling out near the river sticks i guess did, like so, ruin his life I, w- I wouldn't want to be around it then in that case if that was me. I would just be like, okay, I'm going to hang out with the fucking River Leafy. That's a good point, actually. I It's it's a weird moment. It doesn't like, it's it doesn't entirely miss for me because I think it it's one of those moments of like Percy making his choices and stuff. It's not terrible, but we've had like characters from uh, like Greek myth show up like in much much more fun, more integrated ways before. This is one of the rougher ways that's been done. Yeah, like the waterbed shop from book one springs immediately to mind as a really good one. Yes. Whereas this is just a recognizable thing has appeared, and so the character who is associated with that must also appear. Very much so. Um, And I think that, like... But what this does ultimately like lead us to is Percy very quickly uh, saying, no Hestra... I will do whatever I want, basically. And <laughs> following through on Nico's plan, which he didn't like. 
that they've kind of been forced to resort to, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, the importance of yielding is, you know, it's a big thing and all, but Luke is immortal. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, this is one of those moments where you always say it wrong. (laughs) It's, I mean, like, I get it because, like, with Luke, it does kind of feel like he's immortal because he's, like, a titan now. Uh Uh-huh. But you are still saying it wrong, and it is very funny every time. Um, <laughs> I, I, this um, Percy dunking himself in the Pain River. I, I love the way that he dunks himself in. Absolutely. Like he, he tries to stride in heroically. He puts one foot in, feels unimaginable agony, and pitches face first into the water. <laughs> That's what I did in the stairwell yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Jacqueline, I hope you get well soon. It's okay, because now when I recover, I will have an inv- invulnerable spot on my exactly. ankle. Oh no, that's not a great place for it to be, actually. Yeah, historically that, that hasn't worked out. No. Um, but, you know, it's fine. The, the um, Percy just like being in this unimaginable pain, but coming out stronger for it, it's a little bit like... You know, through the fire. I know I said that Percy isn't a show in an anime protagonist. He We've did pull said... through this with the power of friendship. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> and I did love it. I loved it. It's very it. good. Him just like thinking about all his friends and like the thought of them pulling him back to life and all of that. That's that's the good uh, shit there. And then like grasping the hand of, of Annabeth who pulls him out of the water metaphorically and then she's not there when he gets it. It's, it is quite anime. <laughs> I I want to see the scene like animated. Hell yeah! I guess eventually maybe I'll see it live action though. Yeah, apparently there was actually like a big meeting about that, where a bunch of Disney executives gave the thumbs up to the show. Hell it's not, yeah! Not like fully greenlit yet, but like it's getting there. Wait, hold up! We've been talking about this TV show and hasn't been greenlit yet. Nope. <laughs> Why have we been talking about this TV show for so long then? Uh, because if we put stuff about it in the podcast description, it helps the SEO because it's a current events thing. I guess that's true. <laughs> um, we should just start putting like Among Us, Fall Guys, Fortnite. I, I do cheat a little bit, and whenever I use uh, like stuff from Hades in the edited highlights, uh, uh-huh. I do enter like Hades and Hades game and Supergiant as like tags on the little YouTube thing. You're a genius of sorts. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate all your effort that you do. You are like the real workhorse of this podcast. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, speaking of, I guess, workhorses, uh, Percy does some real work in this chapter um, by like... Do you think he kills kill- the horses? He, mm, Hades is on a no. chariot. He He's friends with horses. That, you know, that's true. But he kills every, or I guess, like, destroys every shade. Wait, did he, was he destroying people's eternal souls? He might have been destroying people's eternal souls, because he, like, threw the river sticks at a few of them. Wait, this is, like, really fucked up. (laughs) I hope that they just, like, reform later, and Percy didn't just, like, wipe their consciousnesses out of existence. You'd, you'd hope so, but it's also possible that this is the beginning of Percy, like... Becoming fucked up and evil because of the river. 
I was gonna say this feels like Percy's like the beginning of his like god of war like journey because he just like pins Hades down and like gets his sword at his throat listener if you'd like to hear more about this listen to the uh, highlight clip from a week ago where we talk about Kratos Percy (laughs) and now it's become real (laughs) we predicted it all the way back in book one yeah like there's something really satisfying about like Percy has been kept at a pretty consistent I guess power level throughout this series yeah definitely like he is he's gone toe-to-toe with some gods before but he has never been able to pull out more than like a very very narrow victory yeah but now he is just like a threat to hades yeah hades has to run away and that's like something we've never seen from him before Mm -hmm. so this is an immediate effect that I love. Like, I love to see the effects. I love that this river uh, is cast and it immediately takes effect on Percy in just like a really satisfying way. Yeah. And, but the end of this chapter does hurt me. Ugh, yeah. The end I, of the bizarre adventure. I, I feel for Nico. He, I, I feel like Percy honestly treated him quite badly. Yeah, and like, uh, I and understand even before why. he went into the sticks. No, yeah, he was really immediately super pissed at Nico, and I understand why. It just feels bad to read. I want them to be friends. Yeah, like and... Nico has spent like a year at this point basically homeless with his only company being an evil ghost yeah i think he should be cut some slack when it comes to his like interpersonal skills you'd hope so (laughs) but it seems like no apparently not i I guess you know percy i'm sure he'll come back around i i would hope so i'm hoping that this is like again like like the destroying the immortal souls thing this is the river being making them all fucked up i i wasn't really imagining that i feel like it was just like i don't know like i could see that being true but i never like took from this chapter that the river was influencing him at all Hmm. i guess is that what you took away i can see it being like because achilles says that it like it exaggerates like a lot of your flaws Hmm. And I don't know. I guess Percy can be quite. No, you know what? That doesn't make any sense. Never mind. No, I get what you're saying though. Like Percy is often one who can like jump to conclusions and like be kind of rash and sometimes even a little bit judgmental. I. You know what? That is actually true. He's been very judgmental with Clarice for this whole season. Not season. Whole series, season. mostly unjustifiably. I guess this is a season of our podcast. It's true. You know why I'm fucked up? I'm fucked up because seasons of Doctor Who are called series. And you've been talking about Doctor Who so much. I've been talking about it every week on the bonus podcasts. I refuse to shut the fuck up about Doctor Who. Listeners, if you want to hear Jane talk about Doctor Who, um, talk about why she loves uh, her favorite sexy doctor, Matt Smith, 
Um, Stephen Moffat era on balance is good. Fight me. <laughs> uh, but anyway, back to things that make sense and are comprehensible. <laughs> uh, should we wrap it up? Uh, yeah, I think I think that's everything to cover from these chapters. These were really good. These were really good. I enjoyed them a lot. Oh wait, there's one last one last thing I wanted to ask. What is a that? A question, a concern that was raised by the um, the scene where Percy goes back to uh, his mom's house. Go ahead. Okay, Sally can see through the mist, right? That's right. And the way that Mount Olympus works is that it's actually floating over New York, but uh-huh. there's mist around it so the mortals can't see it. Right, right, right. Can Sally just see a giant floating mountain over New York every single day? I, I've never thought about that before. <laughs> But I think that's maybe the funniest thing that could be true. <laughs> like, imagine, like, five-year-old Sally Jackson. She would be fucking terrified. Like, walking through the streets of New York, like, holding her mom's hand or whatever, being like, Mommy, Mommy, why is there a giant mountain on the Empire State Building? She was probably, like, and- constantly worried that it was going to fall off and kill her. Almost certainly. I, and now I'm like, wait, what did Rachel think of this? And Jesus. Like, like yeah. This, oh, no, I think... Wait, did Rachel only just move there? She might have only just moved there. Uh-huh. It's possible. It's maybe maybe even uh, Sally only just moved there. I suppose that's true. In the Still, seems like the life. kind of thing that would fuck you up to see every day, even if you knew why it was there. Yeah, I think so. Um... And but yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Uh-huh. Uh Should we I, do a, a funny segment? Yeah, let's do our segment. Which Percy Jackson character is not cis hat? Uh fuck, we Jane, got slim we got slim pickings this week. Yeah. I mean, here's who I'll give it to. Oh, okay. Achilles. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's fucking of course. Uh, now that I've chosen the easy way out, you choose. Uh, Mrs. Dodds slash Electo. Okay. Uh, seemed very comfortable, disguised as a male lawyer. So I'm going to say non-binary Electo real. That's, non-binary Electo is real. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like satisfied that Mrs. Dodds of the theories is Electo? I am um, every day confused and frustrated by this. Why is that? Uh, because uh, I prefer the design from Hades for unspecified reasons. <laughs> I like that you didn't just say frustrated, but also confused and frustrated, which leads to some in- like implications. Uh, anyway... <laughs> Wait, does thank it? You ever... Anyway, thank you everyone for listening. I'm just confused by everything. That's okay. You can have your bimbo moments. Thank you. Unwise moments. Unwise moments. Thank you everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. If you'd like to reach the show, you can contact us at Twitter, at Girls. We have links to all of our email, uh, Patreon, all that good stuff, uh, even a Discord server. 
If you want to support us, you can hit us up on Patreon, patreon.com slash unwisegirls. For $1 a month, you can uh, get access to just helping us, just being like a good person. Uh, you access the warm fuzzies you get from helping us. Yeah. Uh, for $3 a month, you get access to all of our bonus content, where we talk about things like Homestuck. We just got to Act 5 in our bonus show. We talk uh... about things. And Jane really likes it. Um, we talk about things like Doctor Who, we talk about various TV shows, movies, anything that we're up to, uh, we give our special thoughts on various things, we watch the movie Hercules, we wa- we listen to the album Town. we did all sorts of things. Can't believe we and, got through the entire Orpheus section without talking about Town. Yeah, I mean, when we <laughs> talked about, like, Persephone being, like, she, like, for half a second, she was, like no don't do it and then she, that had very like <laughs> Hades town vibes to me it very much did um and for five dollars a month you get a special role on our discord called aphrodite's chosen a uh, access to all of our bonus content as well as a shout out at the end of episodes speaking of which this week we'd like to thank mercy Veronica, friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you all. Uh, and as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. Bye. Bye.